We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, from our Psalm of the Day, verse 5. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. For centuries, the celebration of the Ascension has been associated with Psalm 47. No doubt for that singular verse 5. I mean, I can appreciate the sentiment, though, but there's a problematic with relation to the narrative, both in Luke and in Acts, which we read. There's no shout, right? There's just the stunned silence of the disciples. There's no trumpet blast. There's only the ironical question of the two men dressed in white. Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into heaven? Perhaps we could borrow from George Lucas to give a sense of that event, though. Recall the, the final scene in the first Star Wars. Remember that? The Death Star has been obliterated, and the Ragtag Rebellion stages an over-the-top celebration. There's this enormous hall with massive stone walls that tip out instead of in. And ranks upon ranks of spit-and-polished troops, a far cry from what they looked like ten minutes earlier in the movie. And our heroes march in, and they receive medals of honor, Except Chewbacca. What's up with that? It is pomp and circumstance on a galactic scale. Or perhaps a better picture might be the actual coronation in Revelation chapter 5. When the Lamb appears and takes the scroll, then the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And then John looks around and there are myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands of angels and they are all declaring, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Then every creature in heaven and on earth join in to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures say, Amen. And the elders fall down in worship. Such was the actual coronation. What does it mean? However we try to picture the ascension, the event thereof, what does it matter? Well, I'd like to get at that question from three different angles this morning, three different perspectives on what the ascension actually means. To get at the first, picture the morning after that Star Wars extravaganza. My boat building partner and I once worked a job in Sportsman's Park Sportsman's Park is a horse track just southwest of downtown Chicago out on Cicero Avenue, not the best neighborhoods. And the customer of the boat owned the carpentry contract for the park. And he had a small lot fenced off in the parking area there for his equipment and his boat. When his crew was slack over the last three or four years, they built a 60-foot motor sailor in the parking lot. And we got to put on some of the yacht-like finishing touches. When we worked the job, when we were on site, we stayed on the boat, and race nights were always a big event. We'd go out and bring dinner in early, and then we'd double paddlelock the gate, our compound versus them. The next morning, though, the parking lot would be a mess of empty cans, miscellaneous trash, broken half pints, and the stadium itself was even worse. Race tickets, loose losing tickets, cards, along with cigarette butts and spilled drinks. By nine, the cleanup crews would show up. About a hundred people. They would spend almost the whole day cleaning up the park. 
that scene of a trashed out sportsman's park is a good picture for sin. Our sins as countless as the clutter, as offensive as the moldering remains left behind, our selfish attitudes, our quickness to look away instead of offering help, our little white lies in our overt misrepresentations, our bitterness that we carry around and let fester inside of us. You can't clean that up with an army of a hundred, not even two hundred. But there is one who can and did, our high priest. Our text from Hebrews 8 in our Bible class this morning. Now the point in what I'm, we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up. He has redeemed us by his blood and also by the power of his glorification over death. As Paul writes, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He is our mediator, our intercessor, our savior. Clap your hands, all people, the psalmist invites. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. This one, our high priest, has entered into the holy places by his own blood. He has opened for us for a way into the inner sanctuary. Therefore, let us draw near with hearts cleaned and his full assurance of faith. Clap your hands because of his atoning sacrifice. Shout to God for his wrath has been appeased. Sing praises to God, sing praises, the psalmist writes. This is the first perspective of the accession. We have an eternal high priest. To get at the second, I'd like you to picture another scene. It is one of the few councils of the Trinity that we're actually allowed to eavesdrop, to overhear. I'd like to say it happened in Eden, but the text doesn't say that. What the text does say is this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. One of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the gods sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way lest we should try to cross over. On this side of Eden there are thorns and thistles, sickness and disease where once Adam had dominion over creation, now it had been lost. Satan has full run and death reigns over us, especially death. We remember Becky for whom we prayed over her cancer for months and Karen who struggled with cancer barely lasted two weeks. It calls our own mortality into perspective as we look around at those whom we love. Into this thistle-infested world, another man came. One who had every right to walk inside the garden, on the other side of the cherubim. Instead, he chose our side, the thistle-infested side, to become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as the prophet writes. As a man, he died and was buried. And as a man, he arose. His victory possession from his descent into hell, his resurrection from the dead, his ascent into heaven, his seating at the right hand of power, all this as a man, a second Adam, Jesus the Christ. 
The dominion that was lost is now dominion restored, regained. And as a man, he's present with us now. This is what Paul means in the epistle lesson when he writes, Then God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, his right hand. God's right hand, as the confession tells us, is not some specific spot in heaven. It's the secondarian's purpose without basis in Holy Scripture. Instead, it is nothing other than the almighty power of God, which fills heaven and earth. So he is truly present with us in the bread and wine we will eat and drink in a few moments at this altar. Truly present in the word preached and the absolution declared, I forgive you. He is the one who declares from the heavenly throne, Behold, I make all things new. What he foretold by the prophet will take place. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall know, know, not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This second picture is the picture of the garden restored. This is also the ascension. For Christ rules over all creation. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises, the psalmist says. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. For a time... We have sorrows, but we know the future. As Paul prays, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have, he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. But it is not just us. Did you notice this in the very last verse? Verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. <coughs> Mays observes that God has made a place for his people among the nations so that the nations may be included among his people. Christ's ascended rule extends over all creation without exception. And now a, a third perspective on the ascension. No new picture to recall. Instead, I remind you of where we started back in Revelation chapter 5. Recall the pomp and circumstance of the Lamb's coronation. With every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them shouting the words of our psalm, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. For Yahweh, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Satan has been cast out. Revelation 12, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses us day and night before God. This is now and not yet, as Satan furiously rages us against us in the short time that remains for him. But we take heart, because we have been transferred into Christ's kingdom in the water of baptism. Living under this new rule, Christ's rule, is great good news. Christ has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the water of baptism, of course, but the Spirit continues to work through the Word. The Spirit empowers and enables Christian living. Christ continues to give us the gift of redemption. You are forgiven. In minutes we will receive the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ given and shed for you. 
Christ protects us from the evil one and will eventually deliver us from Satan forever. From the right hand of God, Christ will bring all things to their consummation. He will reconcile all things to himself. And being reconciled to God, we can be reconciled to one another. So three perspectives on the ascension, what it means for us. Christ is our high priest, having atoned for our sin. Christ is Lord of all creation. As the second Adam, he holds dominion over all creation and is present in all creation. And Christ is king of all. His reign is eternal in time and in place. For Jesus has ascended to the right hand of power. Father Patrick Henry Reardon summarized the import of the ascension as well as any when he writes, The ascension of Christ is not then an afterthought, a sort of postlude to salvation. It is not merely an appropriate but optional parade celebrated in consequence of the victory. It is an integral part of the triumph itself. Or more properly, it is the crowning moment of the Lord's priestly offering. The Lord's ascension is a ritus, a liturgical event. It is the coronation of our King. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.